What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. I uh, wanted to reach out and say thank you guys for all the listens, all the love. We see it on social media. We see it on YouTube. It has been sensational. And we want to encourage you guys, if you guys are enjoying the podcast and liking it, that you guys subscribe and like it, uh, whether it's on YouTube, on our UCLA LAFB channel, or the Bruin Bible, uh, to subscribe either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you guys listen and react to it because it's going to allow us to do much greater things in the future. We're creators. We want to be giving the best Bruins content to all of our UCLA listeners. The only way we can do that is if we have a fan base that is locked in and helping us out. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you guys have been liking it, please help us out with a like and subscribe. What is up ESPN Los Angeles 1090 the mightier. It's that day of the week, man. It's Friday. Vibes are high, and we are getting some college football back in action tomorrow for your UCLA Bruins. We could not be happier about it. My main man, Jamal Madney, in the house for this. Will Decker, your host. How are we doing on this Friday knowing that UCLA is going to be traveling to the desert to take on the University of Arizona Wildcats tomorrow night? Brother, great to see you as always. TGIF and TGIB. Thank God it's Bruins football time. So very excited to get into it, Will. This seems to be a very huge ball game and for a variety of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. But always a pleasure to see you. Always a pleasure to see you as well. Uh, lots of great sponsors for you know what we got going on here. Uh, Athletic Greens, Underdog Fantasy, all repping. The Bruin Bible. So a lot of great people behind us. We can't do it without these guys. So big shout out to our sponsors on those. Madman, this is a game that, you know, upon more inspection is a lot harder than I think people give us credit for. We're already coming off of a loss to this team last year, 34-28, a heartbreaker, which Ryan Dyrud calls the worst loss of the Chip Kelly era. I mean, it it was really bad. We were right in there. We had a chance to kind of solidify ourselves to go to the Pac-12 championship game. And this loss kind of took it out of, took the wind out of our sails, if you will, from last year. And then you want to see how much they've improved this year. This is a team that is a top 50 team in offense and defense this year, 42nd in total defense, 30th in total offense. And they led the nation in most explosive plays last year. That's 20 plus yards or more plays. And I think the theme that I've come out, you know, and seen with this team moving forward is the resilience, the resilience of the Arizona Wildcats this year, Madman. What I mean by that is they have a guy by the name of Jane Delora, veteran starter in the Pac-12. Everyone knows this guy. He gets an ankle injury, and they're bringing this guy, Noah Fafita. And Noah Fafita, Madman, is outplaying what Delora was doing and doing it against the likes of an Oregon State in some of these major schools. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. And I had to do a double take on this. This guy's completing 76% of his passes, on more attempts than Delora had, who was only completing 70. So, I mean, it, it's like a raising game across the board when it comes to that. We remember Michael Wiley, unfortunately, who torched us last year as the running back for University of Arizona. He's been out with some injuries. They've had this guy Jonah Coleman step up, tailback. This guy is averaging 6.4 yards a carry, 
close to 500 yards, three touchdowns. You know, and in the receiving room, it is what it is. Jacob Cowing, one of the better, more explosive players within the Pac-12 back this year. Eight touchdowns to his name. And Tetero McMillan is the lead receiver with 700 yards and six touchdowns. On the surface, this is a very explosive offense. And I just think this is where I want to start. What do you give credit for with Jed Fish and this unit being just so resilient and arguably putting out players that are performing better than their starters? Well, well, you you gave such a lovely overview there, and I want to start where you ended because I think the key name is Jed Fish. Uh, you know, you have to recall Jed Fish. This is now year three. He inherited a team that was one win uh, a couple of years ago, and he's been able to recruit high-quality guys both on the field as well as off the field and really have Arizona football turn the corner a bit. I think that what was so fascinating, Will, about their season in many ways, it's mirrored UCLA season in terms of the ebbs and flows of the quarterback position. You know, one crossroads for this team, they had already lost two games early, went at Stanford at a time when Stanford just didn't really know who they were. Delora gets hurt. They get out of that Stanford game having only won 21 to 20. And you're thinking this is going to be one of the worst teams in the conference walking out of that week. And then Fafita steps in, Will, and has completely transformed this offense. They've, they've played Washington super tough, lost only by seven. They took USC to triple overtime, probably should have won that game, barely lost. Then they go, they beat a red-hot Washington State team, a team that the Bruins also beat, and then came and really played Oregon State at Oregon State's tempo and pace and on Oregon State's terms and came out and won, Will. So four consecutive ranked games now against UCLA. This is going to be their fifth consecutive ranked game. They're two and two, so battle tested. And I think resilient is the perfect word here, Will. Jed Fish is a phenomenal coach. In many ways, he opened up the book on really unraveling USC season with his strategy of, of rushing three to four and dropping back seven to eight. And he's done very similar very specialized schemes with the likes of Oregon State, as well as being able to contain a Cam Ward. So you got to expect that Jetfish is going to come out with a really nice game plan, particularly around making Ethan Garbers more uncomfortable and making him go away from the tempo and the comfort and the rhythm of being a game manager. And then on the other side of the ball, Will, Fafita just kind of has that it factor. And he's a guy who just sort of came in, galvanized this team. You mentioned the 77% completion rate, Will. That is a function of, A, a quarterback who is completely aligned in terms of comfort with his offense and his skill set. Skill set and offense are meshing beautifully. And second, he's getting the ball out to guys that can get very open very quickly. And you mentioned it. These two studs on the outside that they have in Cowing and Tetairo and McMillan. McMillan leads... Arizona in receiving yards. Cowing leads Arizona in receptions and receiving touchdowns. Both of these guys have the ability to get open within six to seven yards, within 18 to 20 yards, and also be able to take the top off. So UCLA's really got their hands full, and Coleman is quite the bruiser uh, at running back as well. This is a team that is much better than the likes of a Stanford or a Washington State or a Colorado in the trenches both on the offensive line as well as the defensive line. So this is going to be UCLA's biggest test 
since that Oregon State game and moving forward, this is really an inflection point in their season because win this game and you have all of the opportunities to get to the Pac-12 championship game, stumble here, and you start having to reset expectations. This is a massive game, Will, and I think the fact that UCLA is only a three-point favorite against a team that's unranked speaks to that, that this is essentially a pick game. Yeah, and I mean, you want to go back to the beginning when they hired Jed Fish. It was eerily similar to what Coach Prime walked in at Colorado. This was like the worst Power 5 team before Jed Fish had gotten there and just seeing where they're at. I mean, we lost to Oregon State. They, you know, severely outplayed them in the last game. Fafita, three touchdowns, outplayed a DJU in that game, which I thought was incredibly impressive. And it's just the total, you know, the the total rebuild. It's one thing to have a good offense, but to align it with a good defense at the same time. That is purely coaching right there. And, you know, it, it comes down to what we've been able to see with them in the trenches, like you mentioned. They're 30th in the nation in tackles for a loss. When you combine that with a top, you know, 35, 40 total offense, that's an explosive team that can really win some games that they shouldn't win. And we've seen it with the USC game going to triple overtime, like you mentioned, Oregon State, Washington State. But I want to ask you this, man. In your opinion, for UCLA to come away with a W on this game, what are some of the strategies that you think would be best for UCLA to attack on when they're going into Tucson tomorrow night? Well, I think number one is they have to be exceptionally mindful of protecting the football. You know, this is going to be a game where they're not going to be able to get away playing the way they played at home against Colorado when they knew they really owned the line of scrimmage and turnovers weren't going to matter. This is a game where at Tucson, it's a rabid crowd. It's a tough environment. The last thing you want to do is spot a team seven to 10 points and have to play from behind. Because the one thing we have yet to see from this UCLA offense with Ethan Garbers is how they can respond coming from behind. They're great front runners. They know how to play when it, the game is on their terms. But if they fall behind, there's going to be a real challenge there. For UCLA, I think this is a game where the tight ends are going to matter even more because this is sort of an opportunity when you look at what Arizona State really wants to run. Fish has done a masterful job of confusing opposing quarterbacks with dropping guys back and narrowing the passing lanes. And so he confused Caleb Williams with that, DJU with that, Cam Ward with that. And oftentimes what happens is when a quarterback cannot find those passing lanes, and even though he or she has has time to sort of look and assess, you're sort of in a situation where you either have to throw the ball away or you start scrambling, and then those linebackers peel off, the safeties will peel off, and they'll contain. And so they're really taking advantage of quarterbacks not really sort of having the discipline to sort of dink and dunk it down the field. In this particular game, I think there's going to be a lot of crowding around Loya around J. Michael Sturdivant. So the likes of a Carson Ryan, the likes of a Matavau are really going to sort of emerge in that sweet spot beyond the linebackers and before the secondary. So I think there's a real opportunity to go there. And then UCLA has to do what they normally do, and that is run the ball with steel and then open that up for Harden and Jones. So UCLA is UCLA. It is their identity has brought them to this point, Will. So I wouldn't necessarily change who they are for this game. I wouldn't change their identity, but I would really lock in on the execution, protecting the ball, making sure you stay in front of the chains to limit the penalties, and then finding those tight ends 
in those gaps in the middle of the field because that's the one area where the fish defense is a little soft. They want to bait you into running so then the, the backers and the safeties can crash into the box the moment there's a handoff, and they want to bait you into sort of throwing the ball down the field where they have a lot of crowd. Where there's, there's a little bit of susceptibility is in that middle part of their defense, but that requires a lot of touch, that requires a lot of patience, that requires a lot of intelligence, and over the course of the snaps in a game, you're counting on a quarterback making a few mistakes to not be able to exploit that. So Garbers is going to have to be very mindful of really looking for his tight ends in the middle of the field. Yeah, and I mean, that's a point we touched upon in the last week's episode going in to the Colorado game. We needed Matavo to really step up for us yep. then. <clears throat> he got a touchdown right over the middle, 26 yards on that first drive of the second half. Carson Ryan made some big plays. It just doesn't seem like the ball's going to them enough, and I like the Garbers' method of peppering it around. We have the number one and two graded PFF tight ends within the Pac-12. Feed these guys the rock. It's that Absolutely. simple. They're good. They create a mismatch. You got to give them the ball. A guy that I've been very disappointed in the last few weeks, just me, maybe it's play calling, maybe it's some other stuff, J. Michael Sturdivant, man. We were so high on this guy coming out of spring ball. We saw the early flashes. The Coastal game obviously stands out. A couple things he was able to do. You know, against even Utah in that game where we lost 14 to 7. Jay Mike, how do we get this guy back in the offense? Because, man, we could really use a deep threat for this game. And there's nobody better on this team suited for that than Jay Michael Sturdivant. No doubt, Will. And I think you said it really well. And I think the disappointment has sort of stemmed earlier in the season, I think, from offensive line play, as we talked about, Will. And now I think as we've transitioned to Garbers, Garbers just plays a lot more within himself. And he's very comfortable in kind of check down and middle of the field land. And I think Garbers is uh, Sturdivant is getting lost from a targets perspective. I think what you want to do in this particular game is you want to line up J Mike to the outside because what Fish likes to do is he wants to force everything kind of in the middle of the field. He's he's forcing kind of inside slants on the receivers so to be able to crowd things. And I think what you want to do is you want to line up J Mike to the outside. And you want to start running some streaks and just some back shoulder jump balls. Just let him be sort of a one-on-one athlete. The moment he's got to sort of go into crossing lanes or inside routes, now you're sort of playing into Fish's game in that zone. And now there's multiple guys covering J. Mike and he can get lost from a target standpoint. So I just kind of line him up to the outside and feed him a couple back shoulder balls, a couple jump balls against some of the smaller Oregon, uh, Arizona corners, excuse me. And I think that will sort of open some things up because I think straining that defense to go wide then sort of opens up the middle of the field where Loya gets more involved, where the tight ends get more involved, where you get Keegan Jones going on the wheel route. So I think this is usually you sort of pound the middle to open up the outside. I think in this particular game, you start with the outside to then soften the middle to then be able to get the core of your playmakers involved. Yeah, I think those are great suggestions on how to get Sturdivant back in the mix, get these tight ends back in the mix. We know what we got in Loya at this point. I mean, seven catches, 111 yards last week. He was outstanding as the slot wideout. But I'm with you, man. Let's get some more Keegan Jones going. And thinking of Keegan Jones, it brought up one of the all-time Bruin performances within this game, the University of Arizona against UCLA. What about Miles Jack, man, in 2013? True freshman, burst onto the college football scene as a two-way stud. Six carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown that game. Eight tackles, two pass breakups, and a tackle for a loss. I mean, this guy was all over the field. And, I mean, 
we saw something that is very rare. The true dual threat player within college football, Miles Jack, back in the day. Do you remember where you were when the Miles Jack game happened? What were your initial impressions? Will, I love that you asked me the question because I was there. And I remember being right. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was. I was in Arizona for that. And I, I remember that the eighty-yard run that he had. I mean, it was absolutely remarkable uh, what he was able to do uh, that game. And it was sort of just the beginning of of this weapon. And we just have never seen kind of an athlete in UCLA football history uh, of the likes of, of Miles Jack. He was so explosive as a runner. He he sort of reminded you a little bit of Marshawn, just in terms of his anger and his aggressiveness with the ball, but he had this burst as well that was very, very underrated, and he was tenacious. And so you could get him going in short yardage. You could you, He could bust a long one. And then obviously he was this incredibly rangy linebacker, but he became kind of the identity of that team in so many ways and was sort of the peak of the Jim Mora era uh, at UCLA. And I remember him bursting on the scenes. It was the first time that you sort of looked in many, many years that UCLA had this athlete that was really maybe the most elite athlete in the entire country at that point. So it was absolutely remarkable. And what, what a great player Miles Jack was. And I look forward to Miles Jack now as his career in the NFL comes to a close to return back to UCLA and return back to the program much in the way Deshaun Foster has, much in the way Jerry Neuheisel has, much in the way Ken Norton Jr. has. I'd love to see Miles Jack come back into the program in some capacity and, and really build on his legacy of excellence at UCLA. Well, man, as a linebacker, and if he wants to be a coach, I can't think of a better guy to learn under than Ken Norton Jr. when it comes to that room. So, Miles Jack, the door is open. We want you back in Westwood. Man, I come to you every week, and we do the same thing. One player on offense that's going to dictate the outcome of the game for UCLA and one player on defense. Who do you got and why from you, Madman? Well, I think this is a game where – it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that this is a very interesting Arizona composition, to your point. Fafita is a guy who has just sort of dominated his offensive uh, establishment here in terms of his role. 5'11 guy from Huntington Beach, but he plays bigger. He's kind of a thick 5'11 guy, agile, mobile. Then they've got Coleman, who's this sort of bigger bruiser. And then they've got relatively smaller receivers in the grand. You know, they've got no one who's sort of 6'5", 6'6". So there's an interesting sort of ebb and flow of how this team kind of moves the ball down the field. Whether it's the quarterback, whether it's the running backs, whether it's the wide receivers, they're not prototypical size. And so I think that unorthodox nature of Arizona's offense is actually confusing a lot of defenses right now of how to match up. And I think how you match up in this game is with supreme athleticism. And I think, obviously, we're, the pass rushers are going to do their thing. They're the bread and butter of this team. Muasau is this incredibly rangy linebacker, Will, an anchor of this team and the captain. This is the Oladijo game to me. This is oh. the game that Oladijo steps up and really wreaks havoc because you need some athleticism when you lose contain, when you lose sort of this traditional matchup size. And Oladijo's ability with his speed, with his wingspan, with you know his ability to go horizontal or vertically, this game to me is the Oladijo game. And and you know we saw flashes of it. Will with San Diego State, haven't seen a ton of it. He's had moments, right? The interceptions, fumble recoveries, things of that nature. But this is a game where I see him putting it all together in a very significant way on the road. And then offensively, will obviously Garbers will be Garbers. We've talked about the tight ends. 
I'm going to kind of go back to what you said uh, earlier. You, you have to sort of have J. Michael Sturdivant appear at some point. It, it can't be a, a situation where he has these games from now until the end of the season. I really think, you know, that middle of the field is going to be really important for Garbers to kind of drop some balls in. And then I think finding J. Mike on the outside is going to be really critical. And I think it's a J. Mike, Keegan Jones kind of game there in that regard. Keegan Jones or J. Mike, one of those two guys is going to bust a big play third quarter of this game that's really going to create some separation one way or the other. I love it, man. I think those are awesome picks heading into this game. I've got two for you, Madman. So with the shift of Garbers to the starting quarterback, we noted on our earlier podcast this week that, hey, the run game is now more prevalent. It's right back in the place where we know it as a UCLA program, where the run game has been more than the pass game. With Dante Moore, we were throwing more than we were running, which to me I just thought was you know a miscalculation on the offensive side of the ball, given the fact that we are so successful with the run game in general. It's going to come down to a bounce-back week for Carson Steele for me. We want to keep the ball out of Fafita's hands, these talented receivers on the outside, this explosive offense. Carson Steele needs to bounce back, especially after two fumbles, because he was moving the football. 6.8 yards per carry on the ground last week. Give me Carson Steele coming into this week, because I think he needs to bounce back. If he can get to that 80-90 rushing yard plateau, maybe those 20 to 30 carries to kind of ice the game with some runs at the end. I think that's going to be a huge deal for UCLA moving forward. And what goes along with this passing game, man, is the talented wide receivers we mentioned, Fafita lighting it up. This could be a game where the secondary is going to have to bail us out of some of these plays. Give me Alex Johnson, a guy who's been there all year long. Love our guy, Alex Johnson. Three interceptions on the year. One of the highest graded corners within the Pac-12, according to PFF. Give me Alex Johnson. And give me Jalen Davies. We haven't really heard a lot of things from Davies. This guy was the star of the show last year in the secondary. Three interceptions, had that pick six in the Sun Bowl. I need Davies and I need Johnson to kind of come out there and ball. What do you think about those guys before we sign off here on ESPN 1090 The Mighty? Love it, Will. I think the secondary, especially with that McMillan-Cowing matchup, is going to have to really get in there and play huge. And then, of course, things begin with Carson Steele. There's no question about it. He has to be the bread and butter. And a slight corollary to that, Will, is this could be a Schley game also in moments where especially when you've got Arizona that's so good in terms of tackles for loss, getting that extra number in the box where you can just kind of go direct snap and get into your running game in moments, I think is going to be absolutely significant. So keep your eye out on Schley as well to complement Steele and then love the secondary picks. What a game it's going to be, Will. What a game it's going to be. We are excited. We will be watching the game together. I'm excited to do that. Probably in Westwood somewhere. So keep an eye out for us out on the street. ESPN 1090, the Mightier, the Bruin Bible. We will be back after the break with some more L.A. football.